Would you um, join with me in prayer? As you walked upon the waves of a storm that your followers were stuck in the middle of and were terrified in, you called out to them, stop being afraid. The great I am is here. And Peter said, and we say with him, if it is you, call us out that we might walk on the water with you. But seeing the waves and the wind and the storm, Peter got his eyes off of the Savior who had called him out and who could calm his storm. But even then, your grace was sufficient and you picked him up out of the water, put him back on top of it and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Don't you know your storm is in my hands? Don't you know that your turmoil is not beyond my sovereign control? And yet, Lord, I confess before my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I know many of the stories in this room in front of me, that it is hard to live in peace, to experience your peace, to give that peace to others, because this world is not a peaceful place. But that's the beauty of the gospel, that because you have made peace for us with your Father, we can bring peace to the world. So may we be a people who are marked by being peacemakers. In the power of your Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. So the anti-Beatitudes would be, Congratulations to the Entitled for they demand what they want. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall be first. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall hoard. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to the deceitful, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall win. Congratulations to the popular, for this world is theirs. Guys, that is the way of the world, but what we're looking at is a series called The Songs of His Blessedness and the Beatitudes that He called us to, what kingdom people look like. And they look like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are gentle and meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And he tells us, guys, not to just accept the difference, but to embrace the difference. That the difference between that first list I read and the list he describes is what makes us distinctly different from the world, which is what will call people out of the world and in to his gospel community called the church. So when he says to us today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, we, ha we have to embrace what he's talking about. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's question is, does peace mark your life? Does peace mark your life? And you might hear that question and go, oh great, here's one more thing I have to do, right, for, to, for Jesus. Here's one more thing that I have to somehow conjure up because that's not really my nature is to be peaceful and to be a peacemaker, so now I have to do it. But we have to remember from last week that the Beatitudes are not a list of rules and regulations, 
Jesus was not adding to the law. He was describing a life that is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So don't walk out of here today going, I got to go make peace. Walk out of here today going, have I experienced the peace of God? And is his peace being lived out through me? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What a great title for us. Like that's the, what a great promise. They shall be called sons of God. But here's, the, here's, here's one of the things that struck me as, as I was meditating on this particular beatitude. Guys, this story of blessed are the peacemakers, it is the story of the Bible. It is, it is the story God has been telling since the fall. It is the heart and soul of what the Trinity has been doing since the beginning. Guys, God's story, this book, is all about Adam and Eve who had peace, perfect peace with God. He, he, God, the Father, walked with them in the garden. They knew him personally and intimately. And then sin entered the world. And the rest of this book is about how God has tried to bring peace to a rebellious people and ultimately brought that peace through the fulfillment of the Messiah, his son, Jesus Christ who brought peace by coming and dying the first time. Romans 5.1 says that we now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then the rest of the story keeps going and talks about how we are to be a people of peace, to share that peace with the world until Jesus comes again in his second advent and brings perfect peace. And we'll see that at the end of the message when we look at the end of the book in Revelation, Lord willing. But what is a peacemaker? Jesus defines the term for us in a sense. And what I mean by that is Jesus, his life on earth and his death on the cross defines what a peacemaker is. It defines what a peacemaker looks like. A, a definition of a peacemaker would be someone who brings reconciliation between two opposing parties. Someone who brings reconciliation between two opposing parties. Well, guys, what were we prior to, being, to knowing Christ? What does the Bible describe us as? You were enemies of God, but God. Rich in mercy, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we have that peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And what is the promise? that we are sons of God. Guys, that phrase, sons of God, can be translated descendants. What a great title. It can also be translated disciples. For they shall be true followers of mine, is ultimately what he is saying there. Guys, sometimes we think that peace is the absence of conflict. And we'll see throughout the message this morning, that that's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, he can't be talking about, oh, well, so your life is going to be peaceful and no, no conflict in it, because what's the passage we're going to look at next week? We're blessed when we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That doesn't sound very peaceful, because that's not the kind of peace he's talking about. He is not talking about having a life that is devoid of any kind of conflict or turmoil. He's talking about what does it look like when we're as believers in the midst of those storms. One of the things I've been praying a lot through, I, I, God hit me with at the, at the beginning of, um, or early in my time in the sabbatical in May and June, and, and um, I've shared with you before, but I'd ask you to, to really be intentional about joining with me and together 
in this prayer together. When people are with, this is what I pray, when people are with me, do they feel Jesus? When people are with you, do they feel the presence of the Savior? So today's question, does peace mark your life, is directly connected to that. We're going to look at it through three short psalms. So if you want to, you can, if you haven't already turned there from the invocation passage, we're going to look at Psalm 120, 121, and 122 to make our points today. And the first point we're going to look at is that we are to pursue peace in the midst of problems. Because what we're doing in this series, in this Songs of His Blessedness series, is we're taking songs, psalms, and we're connecting them to the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke about. So in Psalm 120, the psalmist writes this, In my trouble I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshech and dwell among the tents of Kedar. Those are just barbaric nomads that, that the psalmist is using to describe the enemy. I dwell among the enemy. And then he says, Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak... They are for war. I have a date marked in my Bible here, and I won't tell you all the rest of it, but it's from March of 2006, so over 12 years ago. And it was a place where I was, where I was working, and, and myself and a co-worker, um, a fellow administrator, we just were constantly butting heads. And no matter what I tried to do to pursue peace, it just felt like venom after venom after venom was coming my way until Carrie and I finally felt led to, without knowing what we were going to do next, resign from that position because it was supposed to be a Christian institution, and we believe that when... When there is division in the body, Satan is at work. So in March of 2006, we, I, I, that night, after I read that verse, just in my daily Bible reading, I read that verse, and, and that night at work, I wrote my letter of resignation, not having any idea what we were going to do next. And what God knew we were going to do next was go into ministry and eventually plant a church called Cornerstone years later. But we didn't know that at the time. So I, get, I, I share that to say, I get... The struggle with, I mean, the world is hard. People are hurtful, right? We, we hurt each other in the body of Christ, let alone the unbelieving world. And so it isn't easy in the midst of problems to pursue peace, but that's what we are called to, right? If we have the peace of God because we are at peace with God through Christ, we need to share that peace with other people regardless of who they are. Guys, you say, but wait a second, that doesn't sound right. Well, well I'm sorry, Paul, in Romans chapter 12, you'll read about this in your daily readings this week, if you're doing the daily readings, he says that we are not only to be peace, we are actually to bless those who persecute us. And you say, okay, well, that was Paul, but, but that, that still doesn't make it right. Well, one, that's wrong thought, because Paul wrote inspired word, in the Bible. But two, Jesus himself, shortly after the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, says this, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do you get that? I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. There's that sons of God thing again. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Guys, get this. No one has ever wronged you more than you've wronged Jesus. Some of you aren't getting that. None of, no one has ever wronged you more than you've wronged Jesus Christ. And yet, he forgives. He is merciful. He is gracious. He brings peace. So we're to pray for our enemies. Why? Partially, one of the reasons, guys, is obviously it's, it's to be like Christ. But guys, here's the other thing. When we're not at peace with people, the enemy is at work. Satan hates peace and unity. Hates it. And I'm using that term on purpose. We don't use the word, the H word a lot in our house, hate. But in this particular case, it works. Satan hates unity. So pray. Pray for unity in your marriage. Pray for unity in your family. Pray for unity in this church. Pray for unity among the churches. Pray for unity as you go out. Guys, we have to be praying because we have to recognize that when there is conflict, Satan is at work. He is. But guys, it is so important. I'm going to take a second because, because when you're talking to a couple hundred people, there are people that are all different levels and different stories. And some of you are going, man, I'm thinking back to a time where I did not do a good job of pursuing peace. Guys, here's the thing. Being a peacemaker is not the same as appeasement. It does not mean do whatever you need to do to maintain peace in a relationship. There are, sometimes peace is not possible. As far as it depends on you, Paul says in Romans, and you'll read about this this week. As far as it depends on you, if possible, be at peace with all people. Sometimes it's not possible, though. Right? You can do everything. And sometimes it's not safe. Nobody is sitting here saying, no matter what's going on in your life, be a doormat. What we are saying is, don't fight for your right Sometimes the best thing you can do is just sort of back away. Give it to the Lord. Give them to the Lord. But we have to be careful that we're not conveying, that I'm not, I don't want to convey, I don't want anybody to walk out of here going, so if you're saying I've had conflict with another person, I let Satan win. I'm saying Satan is prowling the world. This world, he is called the king of this world. It is an effect of the fall. Now, we can be at peace without being best friends with and even in community with. And we'll talk more about that as we kind of go along as well. Guys, how do we know that sometimes peace is not possible? Because Jesus got crucified. If he couldn't... Guys, the, the Pharisees, could he bring peace to the Pharisees? No. Because there comes a point where sometimes you just go... What he said, if, if they reject you and they're not going to listen and you are in a spirit-filled, loving, kind, speaking the truth in love, grace and truth meet each other and, and, and they reject that, what did he tell us to do? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. And there is a place for that. And, and, when, and where that is in each of our situations, guys, I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. The word of God and the spirit of God can tell you exactly what to do. He did to me in March of 2006. 
So, last part about this point, as we look at does peace mark your life, the question becomes, so how, if, I pers- if I'm supposed to pursue peace in the midst of problems, how do I do that? So here's just quickly how to be a peacemaker. It begins with your relationship with God. Guys, if you're not right with God, if you don't know the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, if you're not pursuing him daily in his word, if you're not being refilled by his word and his spirit daily, being a peacemaker is not an option. It It has to start with your daily and sometimes throughout the day, right? In fact, most of the time throughout the day, reminder of, oh, I got to stay connected. I got to stay connected. And we talk a lot about that, and we'll talk more about that even as we go through the next series. The second thing is, we have to be, the, our ability to extend it to other people, to extend peace to other people, is directly related to how we experience it from him. It's what I talked about when we, like when you talk about mercy or forgiveness. Are you a forgiven person? Then you should be a forgiving person. And what I have, what I have learned, and another thing I've been praying through as I pray to the Lord's Prayer every day, is as he says, forgive us our trespasses, or as, as he says, forgive us our sins of others, is just the same way you forgive us, our, me, my sins. What I'm realizing is, the better I get, the more I get at, ex- better I get at extending grace, the more I taste his grace towards me. It isn't increasing his grace towards me. Nothing I do is going to increase that. But I, but I experience peace the more I pass it on. I, I, I'm reminded of his peace towards me the more I give it to other people. Acknowledge that peacemaking costs something. It does. And he paid it. Jesus paid the price. Give up self for the sake of others. One of our, that's, that is our big problem. It was Adam and Eve's problem in the garden, and we just inherited it. Whether it's your marriage, between you and your relationship between you and your kids, relationships with each other, whatever it is, our biggest problem is the one looking us in the mirror every day. And the last thing is, know that ultimately your motivation is for him, not for them. We are ultimately peacemakers, not so, people, not so that the person we're making peace with goes, wow, you're really sweet and magnanimous. No, it's to point out his glory. And we're doing it because we're obedient to him, not because we expect anything out of the person in return or the situation in return. So let's look at where we find peace. And we've already read the psalm. This one will go fairly fast. We find peace in his presence. It was our invocation passage. His spirit's present in us. If you look at Psalm 121, it says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountain from where my help does come, where, from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Guys, don't just read that and pass by it. I love that Jeff repeated it a couple times during the invocation because there's the key right there in the first two verses of that psalm. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you read that and it says, my help comes from the Lord. So he's asking a question, where, where am I going to get help? I need help, Lord. Where am I going to get help? And then he says, my help comes from the Lord who made everything. What am I afraid of? What am I scared of? What am I frustrated by? My help comes from the God who spoke and it was and he still speaks and it still is. And yet, we get frustrated, we get fearful Because we get our eyes off of him. So then the psalmist continues and says, and I love how it, the transitions, the pronoun transitions from I will lift up to you. 
to, to prove like it's a, the promise is meant for us. The psalmist says, this is my relationship with the Lord, and it can be yours too. And he says, he will not allow your foot to slip. He will keep you, he, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he keeps Israel. He who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade in your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Guys, if that verse is not underlined in your Bible, borrow a pen and underline it right now. I'm waiting. So you have time. He will keep your soul. Your soul is your mind. We talked about this over the last few weeks. Your, your soul is your mind, your will, and your mo- and emotions. It is the essence of who you really are, apart from the spirit of the living God, which is the other piece of that. And he is saying, he is the one who will keep your mind, your will, and your emotions in perfect peace if you will keep your mind on him. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth forever. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, don't turn there, but Paul in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, in prayer and begging God, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So get that, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He's saying, don't be anxious, don't be nervous. Because God is at your right hand, because your God is the one who made heaven and earth, don't be fearful. But then here's what he says. But here's how, you, here's how you connect that. Pray with thanks. How, how is praying with thanks about hard problems, struggles, things I'm not at peace with, how does that work? Well, only by the power of the Spirit, but also here's what it's doing. When, when I stop in that moment and I go, Lord, I, I, do, I do not feel like I'm adequate for this moment. And, and that is creating in me turmoil. Help me, but thank you for the opportunity to trust you. What did I just do in that moment? I got my eyes off of the waves of this world, and I got them focused on him. And guess what the promise is that Paul says in 4.7? If you do those things, pray with thanksgiving, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Right. That's the key. The key is, it's that moment of, of, of we're going to see it next week in Psalm 22. Yet you are holy. Yet no matter what is going on in my life, you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And because of that, nothing else matters. The peace of God comes only from peace with God. And I'm going to keep saying that because, guys, I know there's some of you in here that have not experienced the peace of God. And Romans 5.1, write it down, Romans 5.1 says that we have peace with God only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's got to start there in his presence. But how does experiencing his peace allow us to share it? Because, guys, if for no other reason, we cannot give away what we do not possess. If you don't have the peace of God, you can't possibly give the peace of God to other people. And as Jeff was reminding us in his, in his, um, in his gospel moment, that's the mission we're on. We're, we're on a mission to share the peacemaker with the world. But we can't do that if we're not, if, if all we are is we, we know about him, but we don't really, ex- we've never really experienced him. 
We can tell people about him, but we can't show him to them. I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 4, as Paul talks, so in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, as Paul talks about the church and this model for the church, I want you to think about this John Piper quote. So here's what John Piper says. He says, the peace of God is not the absence of problems, it is the presence of divine sufficiency in the midst of those problems. And in Ephesians chapter 4, after outlining the gospel in the first three chapters, Paul says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Because he's saying, because of the gospel, you are now gifted and fit together as a church. Be careful to preserve the unity in the bond of peace. Because he knows, Paul knows, that the enemy wants to create turmoil. But he also knows that, guys, there are only, and and we're not going to turn there, but on the back of your connecting points in the B and community section, it talks about there are only two supernatural entities in the world. Your marriage, human ones, relationships. Your marriage, if you're married, and the church. That's it. You can belong to another group, and it could even be a Christian group. It is not the bride of Christ, and it is thereby not a supernatural fitting together that Paul is describing. Now, why does any of that matter? What does that have to do with peace? Here's why, and I talk about this all the time. Some of you really frustrate me. Some of you are really, really frustrated by me. Who said that? <laughs> but here's the beauty. That is the beauty of the Beatitudes. That is the beauty of blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Because God uses our marriage to conform us into the image of Christ. God uses this body and other churches all over the valley and all over the world to conform us into the image of Christ. And some of that is so uncomfortable and doesn't feel very peaceful. And God's going, because I'm using it as a tool to chunk, not even to shave. I don't need shaving. I need chunking. To chunk the dug out of dug and get Jesus there. So he uses you guys in my life for that. That's what Paul, he finishes the thought with, there is one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, who is the Father of all, through all, and in all. Guys, we can't run from conflict. When we run from conflict, we are taking one of the tools that the Holy Spirit is using in our lives away. I was hiking the mountain the other morning and, and, God, and I was really sticky and sweaty and disgusted and bugs were sticking to me and, and God hit me with this to probably get my mind off of that. It is the stickiness in the midst of the stuckness that God uses us to conform us into Christ-likeness. It is the stickiness. It is us being stuck. It is us being, it's, it's the uncomfortableness in the midst of being stuck together as a family. I can't go anywhere. God has put me in this church God has put me in this marriage, and I am stuck here. Praise God. <laughs> but then going, but it's a good, it is a praise God, because he is using it to conform us to, our, to Christ's likeness. And that's the goal. That's the end game. That's the win for God. The win for God is not that you're happy. The win for God is not that you're healthy. The win for God is that Doug would look like Jesus Christ. The win for God is that Brian Shields would look like Jesus Christ. The win for God is that Carrie would look like Jesus Christ. That's the win for God right now. That's 
what he's interested in. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it feels uncomfortable. And he gives us lots of opportunity to practice being peacemakers. Praise God. That leads us to our last point. And it goes quickly. Our final psalm is Psalm 122. And it says, pray for the peace of his people. Pray for the peace of his people. So let me read the psalm and then I'll wrap things up. It says, this psalm is attributed to David. We're not sure if the other ones were David as well, but it says, I was glad when he said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together. To which so he's saying, here's this tight-knit group of people. Sounds a little bit like a church. To which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for their thrones are set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. Now get this, guys. Get, get this, praying for God's people. For the sake of my brothers and my friends... I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. Now guys, I'm not going to get into all the eschatology and the ecclesiology and the missiology and all those fancy words about how is, how is like in the Old Testament, Israel is described as the vine, and when Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine, that there's this connection there, and he's saying, I am the fulfillment of this. I'm not getting into whether the church is really the spiritual Israel. I'm not talking about that. Here's what the psalmist is talking about. The psalmist is saying, we are to pray for God's people gathered together. And just like Jerusalem is the place that God's people would gather to worship, where is that happening now? What? Say it. Here. The church. Where do God's people gather to worship and exalt him? In Bible teaching, Bible believing, gospel loving churches all over the globe. And we are to pray for those people. So here's my question. Are you praying for the church regularly? Instead of wringing your hands about what's on Fox News, are you praying for the church? Are you praying for your church? Are you praying for your leaders? And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the rest of the guys and their wives that are part of this team that give so sacrificially. Are you praying for each other, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Why do we not have a room full of people at 9 a.m. praying for this service? Are we praying for the church. Because guys, the church is what will usher in his return. Instead of wringing our hands about how hellish things are getting, let's get him back here. Let's get him back. And it's on us. He's waiting for us. So let's do it. Not for our glory, but for his Okay, we're going to take a minute, like we do at the end of every message, and we're going to take some time just to respond to what you've heard. So the music team's going to come up, and the lights are going to come down, and we respond a few different ways here, week to week, and one of them is we just take some time to reflect. We'll do a song and just sort of give you a chance to reflect there as well. We'll do communion together, and we'll be doing that as well today. 
But I want to ask you a question to reflect on during this time, and then I'm going to read a passage out of Revelation. How did Jesus bring peace? How did Jesus bring peace, guys? He dealt with the conflict. He took it on himself. That's how he brought peace. All we have to do is look to the cross. All we have to do is look to the cross of Jesus Christ to see how peace is brought. It's death. It's death to self. So when I ask the question today, is your life marked by peace? We want to view that through the lens of the cross. Do you have the peace of God in you? Do you know him? And are you sharing that peace with other people? Guys, I get that we, we, we don't do that perfectly now. But here's the beauty, and I'm going to finish with this. Someday, when he comes again and he makes all things new, we will experience his perfect peace. So just close your eyes, and I'm going to read a part of Revelation 21. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death or mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write these words, for they are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the fountain of life without cost. And he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be their God. And they will be my sons. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. We are an utterly dependent people dependent on you for our salvation and dependent on you for our peacekeeping. I thank you. I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you are utterly sufficient, completely gracious and totally in control. Lord, may you fill us 
so fully with your word and with your spirit that as people are with us, they would feel Jesus. And no matter what's going on in our lives, may we just keep looking up. In Jesus' name, amen.